Hey everybody, and welcome to an all-new edition of The Elite Beat, your source for all the AEW news, reviews, and previews. Quick draw, Megan, 111 miles to our southwest, as she marshaled her mute button as soon as uh, that dog started making any noise at all. Way to go. Thank you. I'm back. I, I took it off now to say thank you, though, and I'm sure you can still hear her being her. <sighs> Quite all right. I'm Andy. And sitting right next to me at the dining room table is Jenny. Hello. So, before we get into all the stuff, and there's actually quite a bit of uh, news to cover this week. Whoa. Uh, news items, at least. Uh, there, he scrolled. Oh, he scrolled? We, he scrolled. Let's do what we do every week and start off with the Elite Beat Pop of the Week. Well, this week, I'm enjoying some sparkles via France. Nice. In Perrier. <laughs> Look at you staying hydrated on a weeknight. <laughs> oh, very satisfying. <laughs> How about you, Andy? Well, I'm in a more of a domestic mood, as uh, my beverage was uh, canned in Atlanta, Georgia, at their uh, plant. I have a Diet Coke, much like Cody Rhodes, Atlanta, Georgia. Yeah, last I heard, Cody was canned in Atlanta, Georgia. Megan, bring up the uh, the ABV on this podcast for us, will you? Oh my gosh, I didn't realize it would be on my shoulders, but I do come prepared because um, apparently I'm like <laughs> I'm like the one on the Thursday that that is just ready to crack into wine. So I don't know that I'll have an exciting pop because it's a bottle of red wine. It's Ledson Zinfandel. Oh. Yeah, it is a good one. It is a good. Well, I mean, I haven't opened it, but they're all good. So I'm going to open this. But unfortunately, I have no carbonation to help me make the cool sound. So this might just sound like squeaky and sad because my wine key is also squeaky and sad. Let's see. No, I like that. Was a little. Okay. Yeah, I like okay. that. Okay. You usually get pretty decent red wine pops. I try, man, but sometimes it's just me in the back, like in the background, like wheezing because I can't muscle the cork <laughs> out. So, well, cheers, everyone, to another week here on the Elite Beep, the Elite Beep, the Elite Beat, and uh, this week's episode of uh, Being the Elite, episode two hundred thirty-eight. The band is back together. The primary focus of it was a uh, reunion of the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers, and uh, some some you know little little uh, offhand remarks about how they screwed them over and last year, but that's all water under the bridge now apparently. And uh, Luke Gallows swinging his belt like a dick. <laughs> oh man, I was like, please. <laughs> there's He's... so there's so much dick humor. <laughs> I I guess I've never seen him outside of a WWE context, really. He is enormous. Yeah. And, and I noticed it again during the match on Dynamite, but like he is he's a giant. He truly is. I think what catches my eye more is the fact that he's either super tanned or super spray tanned. I find him to be just like very tanned. And I feel like wasn't in WWE he more of a uh, a pale? I think so. I think he pale uh, back okay. in those days. Okay. Uh, 
it did the tan does not look natural so i'm wondering if he got into the young buck stash and then maybe went a little too intense with it i mean it's no the blade tan no and sadly i think the blades tan is the kind that gives you skin cancer (laughs) yeah it's worse than trent's and trent said that he natural tans so like yeah in this the year 2020 no one should be no 2021 sorry we've rolled over um but still like no one should be natural tanning we have so much science to say that it's a bad move it's true uh other notable things on the show uh five through a new year's eve party for the dark order on december 27th and so nobody showed up and it was a very lame party and i guess hangman had been standing there for a week that's what he said seven days yeah yeah oh, and, shit. Then, <laughs> and then after the lame party he he did leave so it was enough to drive him away yeah so there was that there was a number one contenders game for the bte championship uh where john silver's own tag team partner alex reynolds prevailed in a uh game of flip cup Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I was wondering Jenny's thoughts because last time Flip Cup came up on this podcast, she <clears throat> sort of did um like a humble brag of like, I know what that's all about. I'm pretty good at it. But also like I did do schoolwork in college, guys. I so, was a very good student in college as well. You were. But, but I did play a few games of Flip Cup. And were you good at it? I, I okay. I was not a great flip cupper, but I sucked at all of the other drinking games. <laughs> so I was better at flip cup than like beer pong or um hacky no um cornhole. Mm, well this is really uh, beer I'm game. really bad at cornhole. Um or quarters or slap the bag or is slap the bag even a game? I thought that was just when you drank <laughs> boxed wine with the bag outside of the box. Like directly the from the spout. That's not a game. Come by and slap it, and if you spill it all over yourself, then yeah. Okay, lose. so it's the oh. most slap. Slap the bag is a different game for boys. Ew. <laughs> Ew. Your locker room games. Ew. Now, Jenny, were you good enough at flip cup that you think you could have defeated everyone at this no. it, in this event because i wasn't sure i wanted you to i wanted to get your commentary on how good these boys were because i'm it i don't these know these boys were excellent flip cuppers like a lot of them got it on the first flip i was very dismayed at orange cassidy doing so well because i think it kills his gimmick because he was just <laughs> moving so quickly he tried he Remember? really wanted to win <laughs> He's going to try. <laughs> yeah, when he tries, things happen. Um, he just has to get there. Well, it is, you know, it is the most prestigious championship in all of wrestling, so I can understand why he'd want to have a match for it. What did Silver say they're going to do next week? I forgot already. Beer pong. Oh, beer pong. Mm. Okay, yeah. But he also made the comment that Brandon doesn't want to film, like, the next day or something, so they had to do it right then and there, and they didn't have ping pong balls so they're gonna use water bottle caps which i yeah. don't think i don't know you like can't, there's no way to bounce them no you have to you have to do well, all direct shots well bouncing it was always a like you had to agree on whether or not you were allowed to bounce before the game started mm. some bouncing people house won't rules. let you bounce i see 
I never encountered this. Oh. <laughs> well, still, just like the consistency, the density, and the like, the aerodynamicness of a cap seems like it's going to be another mustard bowl. I agree. I think Brandon Cutler is going to make this way less fun. He's going to rue the day that he refused to film the next day. Yeah. Yeah. In the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium, you know somewhere there's a rich person's box set up that has a ping pong table. Just go raid that, right? I mean, somewhere in that stadium with everything they've got. You think there's not a ping pong table? That's a good point, Megan. Thank you. I try. I'm just questioning. I mean, I've seen the pool. I've seen the dark quarters hideout. And that $800 table they destroyed. So, <laughs> find Speaking of the comments. Jaguars, they did. They made a big. Uh, they made a big signing today, hiring uh, three-time national championship college football coach Urban Meyer as their new head coach. So, looking forward to his debut on Dynamite any week now. <laughs> He's got to get over on that before, or on BTE before he can go to Dynamite. That's true. That's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Like who? Who the hell is Danny Limelight? What's he? What's his deal? <laughs> right. Well, he was on BTE. Um, oh, was as he? Part of, he was part of the sketch where they were trying to deprogram Alex. Uh, oh, that's who that guy with Santana oh. was. Jenny and I were like, "Who the hell is that guy?" Yeah, well, I was too. And then when I saw him in the ring, I'm like, "Okay." So he's clearly around, and but I had no idea who he was until uh, one of the announcers said his name. Like, no idea. He's he is a guy, a guy I only knew from like reading his name on Dark Results. Oh yeah, yeah. But That's fair. Uh, yeah, we'll talk about him later. Uh, they did more Matt Hardy private party stuff, and this kind of ties into Dynamite. I'm already done with this. Yeah. Big over it. <laughs> Me too. Me yeah. too. I I don't. I don't know why. I don't think it's like their worst thing, their worst it's bit not, they've ever done. But, but it's 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 like it's the same. It, it, if I didn't watch Dynamite or I didn't watch BTE and I only watched one or the other, maybe it would be more tolerable. But since I watch both, mm. I feel like I'm getting the same segment twice every week. Yeah, you are. Yeah, essentially. Yeah. Yeah. Overall, I um. I didn't think this was a very strong episode of BT. I was glad that the BT belt competition was there because I, I was entertained by that a lot. And I liked the Dark Order segment as I usually do. But everything else. 39 minutes. It felt too long because <laughs> it just kept going. I kept I kept waiting for a Mikey Ruckus music video to, to like pat it out. <laughs> but uh, to no avail. Nothing for me to skip. I would have watched it if it was on again. Because why not? So but is yeah. there anything else that bears mentioning from BTE that you can recall? Um, I did think that it was dark that Jake the Snake apparently is who people go to to deprogram cult members. And then also now he's in the Dark Order, maybe. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's where Alex Abrahantos went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It kind of makes sense if you like are a follower of Jake Roberts' career because... He's always he was always like a very like kind of a mind controly heel. Um, okay. So yeah. So that 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 kind of worked for me. But uh, anyway, well hey, let's talk about uh, some news and ratings and such. And in fact, we will start with ratings. Uh, this is from Post Wrestling with John Pollock. For the second week in a row, 
AEW and NXT were affected by news coverage, with this week's focus on the second impeachment of President Donald Trump after the House of Representatives vote. While cable news wasn't at the level of last week's coverage of the attack on the Capitol, the terrorist attack on the Capitol, Mm -hmm. I'll remind you, uh, news programming still occupied the top 15 slots on Wednesday. AEW finished number 31 for the evening with a .3 in the 18-49 demographic, while averaging 762,000 viewers, which are improvements of 20 and 15% respectively from last week. So they were really down in the dumps last week. Uh, NXT was outside the top 50, finishing with a .14 in the key demo and 551,000 viewers, which is a 12.5% drop in the demo and a 14% drop in viewers. So it's interesting how... The big news, we, we, we talk about it all the time, big news always affects AEW viewers more than it does NXT viewers as far as what they're tuning into. Yeah, but it seems like AEW was up this week. Well, right, that's because last week was like a Titanic news day. Right, right. But NXT, more people must have watched the impeachment than the terrorist attack on the Capitol. So the, the reason NXT was up last week, it was kind of an artificial up because the week before was the Brody Lee tribute show and like nobody watched NXT that week. What? But they're up. They're, they were. So they went up from like, like almost nothing. And yeah. then. Yeah. That's still not really that good relative to, you know, normal performance. So their disaster happened a week prior to the American disaster. It's just all bad. The news is bad. Maybe when the country's not burning, the wrestling shows will do better. Now that I'm thinking of it, though, Jenny's right. That doesn't really, that doesn't really excuse it because they went down this week from last week, which was their, which was like, hmm. Yeah, I don't know why. I don't know why. Okay. Anyway, that's the ratings. As usual, nothing that interesting there between NXT and AEW. The war is over. Oh, glad you've declared it. <laughs> uh, the Observer this past week had uh, a few more notes related to the illness and death of John Huber. And I'm going to just kind of paraphrase a bit from that story. Uh, Huber was first hospitalized in Tampa when his lungs stopped working for reasons that still aren't clear. Uh, the fact that he was tested more than a dozen times for COVID-19 shows that the doctors at the Mayo Clinic were looking for that to be the reason. Every test came up negative, including for antibodies, which would show if he somehow previously had it and slipped through the cracks. He was being tested by AEW every time he came to television, which would mean sometimes weekly and other times every other week. AEW, and in specific, Mega Parak, the senior vice president and chief legal officer for both the Jacksonville Jaguars and AEW, as well as the Khan family's general counsel, were able to get him moved via airlift from the hospital in Tampa, where the family lived, to the Mayo Clinic in Jacksonville on October 31st. Uh, the treatment at the Mayo Clinic was top-notch, but also very expensive, so a lot of strings had to be pulled. The diagnosis by that time was bleak, and while the odds were always strongly against him, there was hope the Mayo Clinic could save him. Uh, Amanda Huber informed those in the company on November 7th, so all the key people that worked with him knew. She asked everyone to keep it quiet. He didn't want the information out, and she didn't want rumors to spread, so everyone did keep it quiet. Uh, he would have needed a lung transplant, um, and 
to qualify, he would have to he would have to have gotten a donor with the lungs needed to fit his size. And as a six foot five, two hundred seventy five pound man, that was going to be hard to find. Um, but unfortunately, he never even got healthy enough to have the surgery if if they had been able to find one. Um, uh, the day after the tribute show, his wife wrote, Amanda Huber wrote, um, I tried so hard to use photos that captured last night, and I'm sure unsure if photos could do it justice. I'm not even sure I have words that can come close, but I'll try. The entire show was perfect from top to bottom. The little Easter eggs, the tributes, the matches, and the moments. I'm not sure what it looked like on TV, and I'm sure sometime soon I'll see it for myself. But I can tell you in person, the love in that building last night was real. It radiated all night long. You could feel it in the air. It was devastating and beautiful and a testament to one of the best people to walk this earth. I will never, ever be able to thank Tony Khan and the All Elite Wrestling family enough. No words will ever work. All I can say is that AEW is the most amazing community, and Tony is easily the kindest and most genuine person I've ever met. He loved my husband. He loves wrestling. He loves AEW. And he loves my family. Real, authentic love. I've been around wrestling a long time. I've seen the absolute worst sides of this business. I don't think I'd believe it either if I didn't live it myself, but please believe me when I say everything from AEW on TNT was heartfelt and genuine. Not a single person was disingenuous. Nobody was just putting on a show. It was real and raw emotion and just fucking beautiful. So, yeah. Um, and then a few days later, uh, she wrote more. And Jenny will like this. Um... She was writing about Megaparek. <laughs> it's been a whole week and it still doesn't feel real. What does feel real is that love that my family has been wrapped in. The AEW family has helped me stand when I thought I was going to collapse, made me ugly sob uncontrollably, made me laugh so hard until I cried, and surrounded me with so much love. Most important of all, they have loved my kids. They have embraced my kids and gone above and beyond to make the worst week of their lives a little bit fun. They let a little boy who adores wrestling have so much fun. Nobody loves wrestling as much as Brody Jr., and they let him run with it, including all-night iron matches with the, almost the entire roster and sleepovers at Auntie Mega's house, um, where rules didn't exist until 2021. <laughs> uh, Nolan turned three a few weeks ago, and, he, and they made sure he was never once left out, particularly Chris Jericho, who made sure Nolan would grow up to know how important he is, too. Mentioning, of course, Jericho's uh, shout-out to Nolan on the, on the broadcast. Nothing was ever forced. Nothing was performative. Every step of the way was thoughtful and done with my family's best interest at heart. Okay, guys, I swear my Instagram isn't always so sappy, but I needed to have this said. I've typed this and deleted a few times because the words aren't there, but here goes. This is a mega appreciation post. <laughs> when John started getting sick, I wanted no help, especially from anyone in or around wrestling. I didn't trust them to protect our privacy or help without expectations. Then Mega and uh, Margaret Stalvey, who is an, a legal, another legal counsel, uh, swooped into my life. Mega is actually the reason we had a fighting chance and were able to transfer to the Mayo Clinic. Mega made phone calls and made the transfer happen. I thought my whole world was collapsing around me and she held up the walls. I have never met her or even heard of her up to that point. She helped in any way possible. Well, I mean, Amanda Huber... Not a not a big listener to the elite beat. Clearly, <laughs> she doesn't know who Mega Parek is. Uh, she was the first person I broke down in front of when all of this happened. I'm not a big crier. It's just never who I have been. Something about Mega makes me feel safe. 
It was a simple hug and I lost it. It's been a running joke that she's on emotional weighted blanket. I spent Thanksgiving with her, so I didn't have to have dinner alone in my hotel. We sat on the beach and talked about things that weren't my sick husband. We ate sushi for dinner and I cried some more. What's most incredible is the way she has come through for my family, particularly Brody Jr. She took the absolute worst week of his life and created a safe space for him. She let him have sleepovers and made it a super fun place. I am a very protective mom, and when things got terrible, I wanted my kids by my side 24-7. So, I, you know, I think it, this is just, uh, this just makes me, um, again, happy that we do this podcast and, I, and that this continues to be a company worth covering. And uh, um, I don't know if we'll ever find out exactly what happened with Brody in his lungs, but um, uh, I'm glad that every effort was made. Yeah. yeah. And shout out to Mega Parak, who sounds like just the most awesome person. She's, she seems like a, just a wonderful person. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad in a way that it wasn't as sudden as it was to us on the outside. So I hope that he had a chance to spend as much time with his kids and his family and all the people that were clearly the most important to him. And it wasn't like, you know, out of the blue. Yeah. So also uh, with regard to the show, I don't know if you listened to the talk is Jericho episode with Cody on it, but he, he actually mentioned that like, He's glad that they were able to, to produce this show for Brody because when his when Cody's dad Dusty died, he went back and watched like the tribute show for him like multiple times. Like, he he said it just helped make him feel like like he had a piece of his dad still with him, so he hoped that that you know, she would also have this for herself. So I thought that was really nice and He said he I'm watches not- it. He said he watches that dusty video like every day, almost or like almost every day. Yeah, yeah, it was. Mm. Um, and other uh, uh, tangentially related Brody news, uh, FTR. Uh, I don't know if we did I mention this last week that they're changing the name of the Goodnight Express to the Big Rig. Yeah, and it actually okay. comes up on tonight's show. <laughs> okay, all right. So I already mentioned that. Okay. Um. So, um. Another interesting story, uh, Nick Jackson of the Young Bucks, one half of the AEW World Tag Team Champions, but apparently not a best friend of Kenny Omega anymore, um, went to Instagram, and uh, I guess he was addressing COVID-19 deniers, and uh, this is what he wrote, crazy to think there's still COVID deniers out there in the world. I had a pretty bad case of COVID in early September that kept me bedridden for nearly three weeks. I couldn't taste or smell for two and a half months. At one point, my whole body had hives on it, and my doctor said it was definitely from COVID. Matt had to do the majority of the work in matches once I returned safely because I couldn't catch my breath. My cardio is finally back, but it took months to finally feel like myself again. Let's protect each other and wear masks. You think he's talked to his best friend, Chris Jericho? I I don't know. (laughs) Um, So, uh, yeah, it's... That's I think that's all what we kind of expected when he just he did disappear for a few weeks there, mm-hmm. you know, and they did the phantom double super kick where, <laughs> where like two feet hit Tony Schiavone's face, but then only Matt Jackson could be seen afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it was very goofy. Um, uh, here's here's one. Uh, 
there's something called the Pro Wrestling Junkies. And I don't really know what that is, but that's uh, what this is from. And they uh, have something called a virtual meet and greet. So I, I guess it's like, you know, wrestlers talk to fans on Zoom, I guess. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> whatever platform um, we've got here in the COVID yeah. times. But uh, they asked uh, Chris Statlander about the criticisms of the AEW's women's division. And she uh, she said, There's parts to agree and to not agree to. I think it's valid to accept criticism, but people also have to remember that almost every single girl that got signed or is a part of the AEW women's roster has never worked on TV before. A lot of men on the roster have worked on TV, or if they haven't, they're working with people who have been on TV before. So we're just kind of learning as we go right now. We're trying our hardest. We do training before TV every single time there's tapings. So people who think we're just sitting on our butts and just hoping things are going to be handed to us, we're trying as hard as we can. There's only so much we can do, and there's only so much time that we can get in a two-hour stream or a two-hour TV. And yes, there's dark, obviously, but it's not live TV, and people need to give it time. The company's been around for just over a year now, and a lot of these girls, including myself, are working on TV for the first time and are still learning it, and we're not doing matches every single week. All of us. So I think it's fair to accept that we are being criticized because I believe that we can all do better, but Rome wasn't built in a day. A lot of these girls that were signed have not been working for 15 years, you know? It's just going to take time, and people are going to have to accept that we're that and we're trying. Everyone's trying, and it sucks that I can't be a part of it right now, trying and my best to help out, but that's what I have to say about it. Yeah, I mean, I think we've always been very, like, upfront that, like, we're not blaming any of the talent for some of the the shortcomings within the division. Like, I think we all are very aware that most of them are pretty green still and that haven't been on TV. And it does seem like they're trying. I just think that we think that the leadership should be giving more of a push to put more women's matches on TV to give the women more exposure and opportunities and to maybe come up with some better storylines as well for them. Yeah, I agree. I don't think our criticism was ever rooted in specific people. Maybe we were pretty hard on Brit at the beginning, but I don't think I, I think that was just because I don't know. She was very prominently featured. Um, but yeah, like even the issue back then with her was that she was the one for the women's division for them and they pick somebody who had very few actual professional matches and that's on them so yeah i think we've always come at it from a sign more experienced people and also provide more training and more tv time and then you won't have this problem i mean the depth of the roster is not the women's problem it's the company's problem yep uh serena deeb in steel chair magazine uh, made these comments about her role in AEW and if she'd be interested in coaching there. Absolutely, that has been discussed, and it's something that I feel great about. I love coaching and I love helping. I've always thought, even in my time coaching at WWE before this, it would be really cool and really powerful to take on a player coach role where I'm able to wrestle and get in the ring, do that part of it, while also helping out a little bit more behind the scenes and kind of helping scout for women that are out there that might not have been seen yet. I think taking on that role, especially when independent shows start running again, pending the whole COVID situation, I'm hoping that I can step into a little bit more of that player coach role and I can continue contributing in that way. To touch on your point, that is something I'm really interested in doing, and I think the feeling is mutual from AEW. The women's division is in a really amazing growth period right now, where the women are stepping up, 
and there are more women coming in, and there are hungry women who are working really hard to improve. I would love for my matches and my ring work to just help accelerate that process. This also follows what I've been saying for the last few months of put Serena Deeb as your women's champion and have an open John Cena match every single week and let every single woman on that roster get TV time with her and have her coach and, and help. And I think you're going to see tons of improvement. If you get her wrestling with all of the women, it's going to rub off. Yeah. Yeah. It, uh, this also came up on her unrestricted episode that I think came out today, this week, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought one really interesting thing she said on that was that she thinks she'd be a good person to do it because seeing somebody wrestle and judging their talent is one thing, but then being able to be in the ring with them and like experience like how they move and how they kind of make adjustments and things like that, she said is kind of like a slightly higher level of judging their talent and she might be the only one on like the talent recruitment team that can do that i guess maybe kenny too but i don't see him going to indie shows and wrestling people at his level um but yeah i think that would be like a cool unique position to put her in if she could coach and talent scout while also having matches with the people that she is scouting yeah. That's a great point. And uh, when asked about her uh, status with the NWA, uh, she said, it's a great question, and I know a lot of people are trying to understand it. I am the NWA champion, so obviously I expect in the new year when NWA starts running again that I will be competing on their roster, on their show, hopefully getting some more successful title defenses under my belt. I'm looking forward to that because it's a whole other roster of women over there, and I love the product that NWA puts out. I'm very old school in how I came up in wrestling, so I love that they kind of honor that feel. So I'm looking to the future. I'm definitely very proud to be a representative of that company, and I'm looking forward to doing work with them in the new year. But I'm also under contract to AEW. One of the most amazing things about Tony Khan is that he's open to talent trading, and he was very open to bringing people in from other companies and having these working relationships that really haven't been around in wrestling for a very long time. I really admire that in him, and I think he's doing a lot for professional wrestling just in having that openness. My loyalty is obviously at AEW, where I'm contracted, a contracted wrestler, but I also expect to do a lot more with the NWA in 2021. It's funny. Um, I don't even think twice when there is a Serena Deeb NWA women's title defense on Dynamite anymore. It's just like, it's just like okay. Yeah. <laughs> I think... It just seems like one of their belts. Well, yeah, I mean, it's more their belt than that stupid FTW belt. Oh, that belt's going to come up, I'm sure. <laughs> and uh, finally, uh, this this is a, a quote from Christopher Jericho from uh, the most recent episode of Talk is Jericho, where he interviewed Dr. Alex Patel. Uh, he said, it's interesting, because I haven't really told anybody this, but I tested positive back in maybe September for covid and I had zero symptoms. I'm one of the ones you, that you said, you know, I had my 10 days in isolation and stayed away from everybody, and I didn't have a symptom. I didn't even know that I had it. I went and got a test just in general, and it's one of those ones where they said, you're positive. I was like, really? Are you serious? And I had nothing. I didn't have a headache. I didn't have a cough, which I guess is a very lucky thing. But on top of that, uh, once I did have it, and it wasn't a false positive because I took three different tests, and they were all positive. But now I have the antibodies. He's very excited about having the antibodies. 
Yes, but then also I love that Dr. Patel was like, well, those don't last forever and they're not guaranteed to, you know, do like prevent it again. Like, Congratulations, so, you have them. So Jericho, Jericho did seem to accept that. And I actually thought his analogy about like how the antibodies are starting to fade on his tests, like uh, like Marty McFly's siblings fading from the uh, <laughs> Polaroid and back to the future. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. That was a yeah. fun thing. Um, but it was, I don't know, frustrating, I guess is the right word for me to hear that he was so surprised that he was tested positive, even though he was asymptomatic, as if this is not a thing that many people have been saying, including, you know, the CDC. And also you're a person that goes to biker rallies and concerts still around a lot of people why would you be surprised when you got it like you should be counting down the days honestly that you got that positive <laughs> covid test <laughs> i and i you know i don't i i certainly don't know if this is why it happened but i will point out that nick jackson's covid case was also in september and lance archer's covid case was also in september now lance archer did say that he got it from a family member no, when was that biker rally? The Sturgis, the Sturgis concert. Let me, I can, I can look it up real quick. The Sturgis massive spread event. Sturgis <laughs> bike rally 2020. It was August 7th to August 16th. Oh my God, guys. Jericho gave Nick Jackson COVID. What did I just say? <laughs> what did Publish I just it. say? Publish it. <laughs> You better go Allegedly. to the papers, Jenny. You better go <laughs> to the papers. Just like Randy Orton in that one movie. Yeah, Guys, to tell him that gay teacher. Yeah. And Biggie's death might be connected. Allegedly. Might be connected. <laughs> well, that's fun to hear. I mean, I would it, be so pissed if I was Nick Jackson. You got like a brand new baby at home, and this asshole on your work at your work is bring is going to biker rallies and bring it back COVID. Yeah. And again, I think Tony Khan should be more stringent about how, like, if you don't follow the rules, you can't be on TV positive test or not, because it's not a guaranteed thing. And maybe you should stop doing dumb things in your free time. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, Just a thought, but it's Jericho. And so he will never be punished because, he brings in the ratings. Now Jericho could have a faulty memory, and maybe it was maybe it was maybe it was October when he had it. But he says it's September, so we'll take him at his word and say it was September, right? So this is like this is his September. Wait, actually, I have a better. I know what his September is. Like I know everything he did in September because I was reading about it in a message board thread earlier. I've hacked into his calendar. I've seen that's his right. <laughs> that's right. Where is it? Where is it? Where is it? Okay, yeah. For his podcast, Chris Jericho had COVID in September from the F4W message board. Okay. He was on every Dynamite in September. On September 2nd, he wrestled Joey Janela. On the 9th, he and Hager wrestled Janela and Sonny Kiss. On the 16th, Jericho and Hager versus Private Party. The 22nd, Jericho did commentary. Um... But which would have been oh that was that special Tuesday night um mm. thing 
the 23rd, he did an interview um, with Dasha and a scene with MJF, which I think was maybe been the was that dinner debonair maybe. Uh, did open did that start as an interview? I thought that was just like a a skit where they were yeah, suddenly right. at dinner. <laughs> Then on the 30th, he wrestled Isaiah Cassidy. And then the 7th was Jericho Appreciation Night, where he and Hager wrestled Serpentico and Luther. So, but if you also have to think that they only, oh, the live. Like, okay. Okay. So the 2nd and 9th were live. The 16th was a taped show. And the 22nd was a taped show. So they taped, they taped two shows back-to-back nights. So I guess it's plausible. Didn't Joey Janela have a COVID scare? Yeah, they kept him out of the first round of that tournament. Mm -hmm. So what happened was Jericho went to the Sturgis Breaker Rally Mm -hmm. in late August. He just rolled around in the COVID germs. (laughs) Yep. Then about two and a half weeks later, or two weeks later, he came and taped a Dynamite Live. Then the next week, he came and taped a Dynamite Live. Then they were off for three weeks. Three weeks, so he probably would have quarantined for ten days after that point. Right. He gave Nick Jackson COVID. Allegedly, so hopefully, we should always say allegedly. Allegedly. So hopefully, um, that is exactly what happened. That they got lucky and that he didn't test positive until they were in a week where they were going to go live one day and then tape two shows the next day. Um, because otherwise, that's that's real bad. I do, I do get the sense that Jericho is unfortunately like a little bit above the law in this company. <laughs> well, yeah, because you know? <laughs> if he wasn't, there would have been consequences. Uh, and I say that assuming that everyone else who like, obviously we don't know what happens, you know, backstage or like behind the scenes, but everyone else who was exposed to COVID or had it or whatever, there was always these statements about how they were, they like, took themselves out of the situ- like out of the company for two weeks. Um, plenty of those people volunteered to stay home themselves. Meanwhile, Jericho goes out to fucking biker concerts. And you said he went to another one like after that too. Um, just like voluntarily making bad choices. <laughs> and then he yeah, brings was- it back. I guess I guess that was during the period where he was like very uh, very antibody heavy. So. Thank God, <laughs> Which, I mean my antibodies. Like, I know, like Dr. Patel did seem to like think that like okay, yeah, I mean you're not you're not going to be able to infect anybody during that time, so Which, you know. Yeah, and lest the listeners, based on it's still you know, model. Yeah, well, like so, I know we we go hard on Jericho constantly. With this stuff, and I think Remember it's when he was the darling of this podcast in the first year. <laughs> well, yeah, but he wasn't spreading spreading the plague. But I also think this is right in line with, um, like they're cracking down on basketball players now, and the NFL teams where people are just going out to parties and stuff, and then bringing COVID back, and half the team has to be sat out, and then they miss games. So, like. Other sports are cracking down on people, if only for the money aspect. I just think there should be consequences in this company, too. Because I'm assuming a lot of the other people are making responsible decisions while Jericho's like, yo, I got a band and I have to tour. (laughs) So important. (laughs) I don't know. 
All right. Well, that is the news of the week. And uh, now Megan will take us through this week's edition of Dynamite New Year's Smash Part 2. Heck yeah. From COVID to partying. So this night two of the New Year's Smash starts out with a match between Eddie Kingston and Pac. Um, Pac's really pissed off because last week Eddie Kingston and his family just destroyed Penta and Pac while Phoenix was having his match. And then afterwards, they threw up a video of it so that everybody could see and everybody was humiliated. So Pac comes out into this match super pissed. He's he's at 11 already. And <laughs> it's a big, hard-hitting match. But at the end of it, Pac comes out the winner when he does the Black Arrow and gets the pin. Yeah, it was like you said, it was a very hard hitting affair. Uh, I liked it. This was, I thought this was one of Eddie Kingston's better matches in AEW. Yeah, because I think Pac is capable of doing high flying stuff, but for the most part, he did a complimentary style for Eddie Kingston where they were just like hitting each other really hard. Yeah, really, as far as high flying, the only stuff he did was he did a he did a cool flip dive at the very beginning of the match to Eddie on the floor. And then, like you said, he finished with the black arrow. But otherwise, it was a lot of like stiff strikes and suplexes and such. Yeah, and story-wise, I believe because I have not heard otherwise in your news news items, but Pack did get Eddie up on the top rope and do like a crazy suplex off the top. And so, in the storyline, this causes Eddie's back to be tweaked, and also I think like maybe his left arm or something like that. Basically, they imply that that move really messed him up and so the rest of the match he's kind of like slow moving um so i believe that was only story-wise but it was kind of a cool touch where like the one time eddie went up to the top he he came down and hurt himself yeah i um unfortunately for us and maybe maybe on um aw or aw plus it was better but the, the the sound mix this week for tnt had the crowd mixed a lot louder than the announcers. So it was actually pretty hard to follow the the story that they were telling on commentary for most of the show. Oh, I did not have that problem, Mm. but well, I was going to say this week I didn't have that problem, but I also got zero picture in pictures. Hmm. It always cut away. So maybe they edited it and put it up on there. Maybe that's interesting. Do you guys remember the one um, week last winter where they had the microphone underneath the ring, like up really loud, so all you could hear were like stomping. Yes, yes, I remember that. Um, it it felt yeah. similar. Like people were like would like walk, and it sounded yeah. like yeah, yeah. If that sounded like an elephant. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, we couldn't hear the announce team essentially. Oh, that's weird. Yeah, I I think the mixing on mine must have been better because I had. I had no issues. The The crowd did seem louder than usual. And then I started to question, like, are you piping that sound in? Because you don't have that many people here. Yeah, it's it's I, I think, you know, it, we can say it's a it's a trend at this point that the the tape shows the crowd is always louder than the live shows. And it's because they they it's fake noise that they're piping in because they can. And which is fine. I don't care. It actually yeah. adds to the atmosphere for me. But um it's it's obvious because it, it sounds like you know a packed a packed arena 
And it's, you know, yeah. it's like a few hundred people like sitting in pods around an open air stadium in reality. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, like you said, I don't have a problem with it as long as it's done like mixed well and it doesn't, you know, it's not so excessive that it takes me out of it. Yeah. So. Well, that, yeah, that's unfortunate because that wasn't a story point that the announce team pointed out um, as far as Kingston goes. So, yeah. Pack I like the match a lot, though. Yes, uh, it was. I like that it was a mean guy match, but it was fast. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then after the match, we get Pack being extra bitter. So he puts Kingston in the brutalizer, even though he had already won. And this is naturally at the announce team told me that this was because it will add more damage to the shoulder that is already hurt. Um, but obviously Kingston's family's there. So the butcher of the blade jump in and then the Luch brothers run out and kind of give pack his team. So they're staring at each other and Lance Archer comes out to be kind of the, the final say, and he chases away the butcher and the blade, but then he also gets up in pack's face and they scream at each other. And, um, I don't know if you heard it cause of the sound mixing, but in, my version, I could hear Lance Archer say, better get on the same page. So I think he and Pac are fighting about everything, I guess. But they're still tenuously working together here. Do you think that means that Pac is also going to shave his head? That's a fun point, Jenny, because Instagram told us that Lance Archer, if not shaved his head, cut off a lot of hair. And we didn't see it this week. He's no longer going to be the murder hawk. Do you think he's... What if he's like the murder hawk, but it stops at the bottom of his head instead of being like a full-on down-the-back braid situation? I guess it could, but like the way that that picture was, the the build-up in my mind is that he's going to have a totally different hairstyle, which I'm psyched about. So I'll be disappointed if it's just like a trim. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, that's fair. But if it's not a trim, doesn't it have to be bald? I guess so, yeah. I mean, but that'd be fine. All right. I feel we'll like see. feel like it's going to be weird to see him bald if that's how this all shakes out. I thought that he was... Um, we, we could hear the, the dialogue from Archer, and I thought he was being unreasonable. <laughs> like he picked this fight? I don't, think, I don't think Pac did anything to him. This week, at least. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, He clearly just carries a grudge. And it's always as if they've just... It's like the fight stops so that Pac could go out and have his match. And then and then he comes out and picks it right back up. That so. said, they are. I do believe they're going to have an awesome match once they have a match. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <sighs> that didn't happen this week, though. So... We'll see it when it happens, but next up, we've got Chuck Taylor versus Miro with the banana stipulation Chuck agreed to, which is if he loses, he will be Miro's uh, young boy until Kip and Penelope's wedding. They kept using the term butler. Yeah. Yeah. I kind of wondered. Does... Also, butler's funnier. And, but and also, I feel like young boy is offensive. To who? 
I, I don't know. I just, it sounds like an offensive term. Okay. Old boys. <laughs> yeah. I, they, I guess they just Americanized it, but yeah. Um, also, the picture for next week, because uh, spoiler, Chuck loses, has him in like a suit, like a butler. Tuck- it's a tuxedo. Yeah. yeah, but like because he's a butler, not because he's going to a fancy event. Yeah, like Carson. <laughs> yeah, Carson. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Carson was always my... My um, when I would take the Downton Abbey, which character quiz are you? I always got Carson. All right. <laughs> Sadly for Miro, I don't think Chuck is gonna be as good of a butler as Carson is. So. Well, he's only got to put up with it for three dynamites. That's all we get. Yeah, beach like, breaks three dynamites enough. away. I was kind of hoping for a little more. We'll see. I mean, we haven't seen any of the comedy come out of it yet, but. So this match was like nothing at all, like really. But I I was just happy to get the result we got because now we'll get skits. Yep. How did you feel about seeing Miro? I mean, we rarely see him do actual matches. Mostly he's just being Kip's best man. I thought he looked good. I like I like his hair better this way than the, the, the bleach blonde. Um. He looks sharp. Like he looks like he's kind of shaken off any ring rust he might have had. I thought he looked like a big muscle man, but leaner than his time in the WWE. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's good though because I mean, there are some big guys, there are like a few big guys in this promotion, but I think the average size of the wrestler is probably smaller than WWE main roster, so he can get away with being a little leaner and still be very menacing. True. I, I like that. Like, I still believe he's scary. He doesn't need to go no neck like Brian Cage has chosen to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so um, like you said, there wasn't much to this match. Miro w- wins with his camel clutch, and I forget what he's calling it. I think uh, it's called it, Game Over. At least that's what he screams before he puts it on. Yeah, I wasn't sure if that was him telegraphing his next move or just being like, Game over, man. So, <laughs> so yeah. Uh, afterwards, he kind of has a moment where he stares down Orange Cassidy as if to imply he's next, maybe. Or maybe that he just can't help his friend Chuck. But mm-hmm. Orange looked not apathetic. He kind of had some emotion. He kind of looked sad. He looked concerned, and he took his sunglasses off at the very end before they cut away. Yeah, he never does that. Not, not, um... You know, um, willfully. No. Yeah. Oh, God, emotion is creeping into his character. Yeah. Okay, guys. Next up, we've got a backstage interview, one of Andy's favorite segments. Dasha is talking to the Hardy party, and we get to hear another oh. fight about how <laughs> Matt Hardy is stealing from private party. I think he's claiming 50% of their income when he said the contract said 30 they they get really mad and have a fight and um okay i i hate that i know this but i think it's like 30 percent from their from their aew contract but he gets 50 percent from their third party uh engagement okay like okay. twitch and cameo and wait such. i thought that he said that you could still they could still do their twitch and cameo because he wasn't a monster yeah he's letting them do it but he's taking half mm. of it <laughs> Yeah, he's not Vince. He's just almost Vince. Yeah. 
Ugh, let's move on from it. I mean, that's all that happened is like, do you watch BT? Same story. And yeah. I think ultimately he he just settles on I say what goes and uh I don't know that he has a foot to stand on. So yep. we go from him to the inner circle and they're here to say their resolutions for 2021. They do note that this is the first time the entire six person six person entire inner circle is present together. Santana Ortiz, Jericho Hager, That's Sammy, MJF, Wardlow. Uh, seven people. Okay, Wardlow. So yeah, they're here to speak out the resolutions. Hager goes first. All he says is championships. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I'll take any of them. Um, MJF steps up next and he says he wants to continue strengthening his bond with the other members of the inner circle. Um, and then he also dips into very offensive as he is wont to do when he says he also wants to get rid of fat people. I guess in general, I, I don't know. He hates them. And weirdly, Sammy steps up and is like, yeah. And then Hager's like, sure. Yeah. Well, Hager had to be like asked. Like, <laughs> he did. Yeah, that that's one distinguishing feature. Sammy volunteered his offensive views. So yeah. fun. Um, I laughed as a fat person. I, I thought it was funny. I was just like, since when do you agree with MJF on anything, Sammy? Why did you <laughs> yeah. pick this this point? It, it was very much like a low hanging offense. Like anytime you're in a city being like, oh, this city's dumb. Or, oh, your football team sucks. Like it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that it level. Funny. It was good. Well, I just I think it worked because it was so offhanded. Yeah, I mean MJF talks about poor people and fat people. That's yeah. just his deal. It's just been a while since like he's had to go to that well because he's usually so pointedly against somebody else. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so from there we go to Ortiz, who <laughs> had this just charming resolution to do more cooking. He says he wants to perfect his grandma's sofritos recipe, and I think he said roast corn andouille or some sort of some sort of andouille i couldn't really get it with the accent i tried That's to google sausage, right? yes i googled cuban andouille and it is Roast, sausage. roasted corn andouille sounds amazing yes and based on google roast corn and andouille as separate items are staples of cuban meals so i just decided that's probably what he said possibly Either way, I love that Ortiz's resolution is to cook. Uh, Yeah, then we get Jericho. And his resolution is that he and MJF are going to win the AEW Tag Team Championships. And it is at this point that Santana interrupts him and kind of takes issue with this. Did you notice notice the look on the face also, like immediately of Jake Hager and Sammy Guevara too? Yeah. It was great. (laughs) Well, as we find out, like... Santana is very uh, calm in his approach. He just says, hey, didn't you pick me and Ortiz to be the official tag team of the inner circle? Like, that's our job. That's what we do. And then Sammy just goes off the rails and is like, you're a tag team slut, Jericho. (laughs) That was so goddamn funny. (laughs) Yeah, because he's like, wait, guys, wait, guys, I've got something to say. And you think he's going to, like, defend Jericho. And then he just gets in his face like, you're a tag team slut. (laughs) Mm-hmm. it up with all the people in this group. <laughs> it's true. It is true. I yeah. was just saying, I mean, I didn't call him a tag team slut, but I was just saying, like, wait a second. He already tag teams with two other members of this group. Yeah. 
Jericho's the just there, there to get the belt. He doesn't care who it's with. Uh, yeah, and normally I'm anti slut shaming, but this is pretty fun because it it uh, it works really well. So in case it's not about it's not about sex, it's about wrestling. So it's fun. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So Sammy's pissed. Um, he points out that Jericho has teamed with him as the sex gods with Hager. I don't think they had a name, and uh, he had some time with Snoop Dogg also. Which I, you know, I feel like that's a stretch. That's a celebrity guest, okay? Well, I think he was saying that, like, well, we saw you, like, you know, dapping it up with Snoop Dogg. You're going to team with him next. True. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. And then now he's, but now he's declaring his time with MJF. So Jericho's like, Jericho gets very defensive and is like, whatever, guys. Any one of us could be a tag team. And so next week, we're going to get a three-way match between different tag team combinations in the inner circle to determine who is the official tag team. Is it Jericho and MJF? Is it Santana and Ortiz, who I argue deserve it? And or is it Sammy and Hager? And Sammy says, Sammy Hager, and Jericho laughs, and then Sammy is a Gen Z has no idea what that means. So. <laughs> I enjoyed that too. Yeah. I got to explain that joke to Jenny. Yeah, I didn't get it either. <laughs> I thought it would have been a better <clears throat> booking to have determined who's Jer who's Jericho partner, tag team partner would be. Like, I thought it was going to be Sammy versus Jake versus MJF. That's what I thought they were building to as yeah. well. Yeah. I think that would have been more fun. I agree. And Jericho, you'd think being the one who wants to win the belt would just want to position himself as part of it no matter what. So Right. That's true. And this way, you're putting together Sammy and Jake who have to my knowledge, have never teamed before. Right. Yeah, I don't think so. At least not maybe like a one-off, but I, yeah. I don't remember them ever being team. Like, yeah. Well, maybe they'll win and we'll get to watch Sammy Hagar wrestle. Maybe, yeah. Now, there was one moment in this uh, that I want to shout out because it was my favorite little detail of the entire show. And it was it was after the tag team slut line. And... MJF started to say something. Sammy told him to shut up. And Jake Hager said, hey, 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 let him talk. Let him talk. Max is cool. And and then MJF kind of looked at the camera and said, Max is cool. And it was, it was pretty subtle, but it was 100% playing off what happened last week after Jake Hager lost to Wardlow when MJF came in and gave him a pep talk. And... Like, you know, and ingratiated himself to to Jake Hager. So we could see that it's paying dividends. And I think it's pretty clear that he's just like, he's he's getting in with all these people so we can undermine Jericho. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Did you but also... I thought, that was, I thought it was fantastic, like, continuation from last week. Well, did you also see when they were deciding to do this, like when Jericho was determining we're going to have a three-way match because... Uh, maybe it was MJF who said, like, remember when Hager and Wardlow had their match to blow off steam? And then the camera, like, kind of, you saw Hager and he kind of looked like, like, maybe he was not fully on board with that solving any problems. So there are still cracks there, too. Wardlow smiled broadly at that memory, though. That was the only time the <laughs> camera caught Wardlow. <laughs> it's hard to well, frame seven people. <laughs> as the winner, he should be smiling, but yeah. Yeah, so I liked this segment uh, in that I think it's really funny when they fight. 
I thought this was like kind of a, one of the upper echelon inner circle segments. Yeah. And look forward to next week. We'll have yet another member of the inner circle, I assume, doing their finishing move on one of their family members. Oh, it's true. And because because AEW, it could be like several finishers and then they get broken up by other people. And so you can just mm. you can have everybody do finishers. Yeah. yeah. Good. Good. Because yeah. I worried they were going to get on Wardlow and be like, this is the guy who does finishers on his family. <laughs> get him out. Uh, but gotta gotta stomp that down. Okay, so we'll see how that goes next week. What a match that will be. Um, after that, we go backstage with Alex Marvez, who is talking to the Dark Order in their little Dark Order hideout area. And he just says, you know, you guys honored the legacy of Brody Lee two weeks ago. Uh, what's next for you? And Evil Uno speaks up. He says... You know, in the future, everything the Dark Order does is going to be in Brody's name, essentially. So they have to be better people, which is a touching little turn of events. Like, <laughs> crisis of conscience. Good good job, guys. You're coming out on the right side of that. And then he says that to show that we're being better people, next week, Adam Page is going to be teaming with us. And at this point, I think it's like Stu Grayson. He was like, get over here, guy. And then we see on the other side of the room them pull Adam into the frame and he's got his drink and he's just kind of like, he laughs and they're like, hey, 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 Alex Marvez, get out of here. And then John Silver takes the mic and transforms into Jenny as he attempts to interview Adam Page. And by interview, he just says, oh my God, oh my God, I love you so much. You're so great. <laughs> and then I think somebody else takes the mic from, Reynolds takes the mic from him. <laughs> it's like, okay, buddy. Okay, uh, but really, Adam, we're so curious. When will you let us know if you're going to join the Dark Order? And Adam says, you know what? Next week after the match, I'll let you know. So we're going to get our new leader for the Dark Order. Yeah, and then so Hangman left, although he really just like walked back to where he had been standing before. <laughs> yeah. As Silver turns around and is like, we're going to get him. We're going to get him. He was very sure that they locked him in. And normally I would say that, like, being that sure of something in wrestling, or really in any um, work of fiction, is usually setting you up to be wrong about it. But I think he's going to be right in this case. I, I would agree. I hope yeah. he's right, for sure. But you're right. Like, uh, if this was any other storyline, it would be very apparent that what he wanted to happen was not going to happen. Yeah. So they They did kind of pull back, and we saw Adam leaning against the wall and i don't think he necessarily had like a uh like a mad look on his face he just kind of looked like he was pensive sure like i guess you're allowed to be from there we get a video package to remind us about team taz and why they're pissed at darby up until this point dobby was not a good house elf and so taz (laughs) is mad now they gotta fight (laughs) I think it's all clips we've obviously seen before, but uh, the one thing I took from this was that I believe it was Excalibur who said, you know, Taz is a legend, but he didn't know how to talk to Darby. And that's probably where the disconnect was because he approached him in a way that was not good for Darby. And then Darby didn't respond in the way Taz wanted. And so, like, they kind of framed Taz as this older legend who doesn't know how to talk to the kids. Mm. And that's 
maybe there's a grain of truth in there. I mean, I don't know. But Taz has his faction now, uh, and he just needs to, like, kind of let it go. See, this is why Sting has had success with Darby, because even though he's an older legend, he just, like, he doesn't talk to Darby. He just stands there <laughs> and, and you know, kind of broods with him. Yeah. Yeah, he's connecting with him with his interests. Mm-hmm. Face paint, um, sadness, I think. Being emo. Yeah, being emo. Uh, I mean, Sting has a bat, Darby has a skateboard, but they both swing things at other people. Yeah, so both into sports. <laughs> yep. Yep, avid sportsman. Mm-hmm. So that's setting up our match, our main event later to come. After that, though, we're going to set up the next match we've got on the docket here. We get an interview backstage with Dasha, Kenny, Don Callis, and the Young Bucks. They're all standing t- together and they're all like celebrating because, like, the band's back together, guys. We got this. Um, They've been and- celebrating for a solid week, apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's I thought it was one of those after, you know, last week after the match interviews, but then yeah. they're really just going to their next one. So, yeah. So um, Kenny is excited, apparently, and he suggests that they do their old elite entrance. So like the combined music and video and Don Callis steps up and says, well, you know, the Bucks deserve their own music. So, you know, let's let's keep the entrances separate. And it's clearly code for, I want Kenny to enter by himself, and I want to be able to have a 10-minute listing of all his accolades, and also get that broom dance number in. So, at least that's what I thought, anyway. That was my mind. He just wants Kiko to shine. And that's fair. Let Kiko shine, damn it. So, yeah. So, he's like, we'll just keep those entrances separate. So, we go to the match itself. Kenny gets his entrance. It's all good. And then Don Callis, um, as as Justin Roberts is preparing to introduce the Young Bucks, he takes Mike and he says, hey, get out of here, son. Uh, I'm going to do this. I'm going to handle this. I know you've got experience, but, like, it's not great. And so he builds up the Kenny's partners and says, now we're going to get his best friends. And you think he's going to say the Young Bucks, but it turns out that this match is going to include the Good Brothers instead of the Young Bucks. And... I don't know if Kenny's surprised, but if he is, he rolls with it. He doesn't seem upset, is what I'll say. Um, yeah, he kind of nodded and, like, smiled, so he must have been in on this. May- maybe, but then why did he suggest the Elite do their thing? I don't know. That was confusing. I think Kenny didn't know, but he's also like, oh, yeah, I mean, these guys are, like, my also my good friends. I don't know that I call them my best friends, but they're my good friends, and, uh, you know, it's fine. Best friend is a very special term, and you should not use it lightly. All right, Miro. Chuck Taylor was willing to give it away. If <laughs> he lost a match, so just he was he was and he was that cavalier about the uh, Butler stipulation as well. Yeah. So he lost out on that one. Sadly. He just makes bad choices. I think they need to make Orange Cassidy the mouthpiece of that team so that Chuck can't agree to any <laughs> stipulation that's placed in front of him. Yeah. But yeah, the, I guess the Good Brothers are Kenny's best friends now. Yeah. So they come out. Kenny rolls with it. Uh, we go back. Like, we get a shot of the backstage where Tony Khan, Dasha, and the Young Bucks, who were all standing together for the interview. I mean, except for Tony Khan. He shows up. They're standing in front of a monitor, and they're just shaking their heads. 
Tony Khan lately not acting like a guy who never wants to be a television character. True to an extent. I did I did appreciate that the shot we see is not of them all standing kind of on one side of the screen awkwardly craning their necks to look at a TV monitor that's <laughs> pointed at the camera. We kind of get it over the top of the monitor so that we're seeing them but we don't see what's on the monitor. So I, I thought that was at least... Like, if you're going to do this shot, at least it looks natural. See how she defends him? I think, Megan, my green, grand plan for our podcast in life is for you to maybe make a trip down to Jacksonville. <laughs> Talk try to, to get in. Get in with TK. Yo, I'll hang with TK. Toss me one of those white claws, TK. Yeah. Your cars are so impressive. You like duffel bags and white claws. That makes me sound like a serial killer. <laughs> you love duffel bags. You're putting stuff in them. Bodies. <laughs> okay. Okay. You know what, Jenny? I hope that happens. And if it does, I'll record every minute of it. But um, And, and, and bring us down. Like, we can ride on the PJ then, right? I mean, if TK lets me ride on his PJ, like. This all sounds weird, like sex stuff, and I'm. <laughs> we gotta get out of here. We gotta get out of this conversation. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm like, I'm okay with TK's decisions on this one. Did, were you okay. not Jenny, implying that I'm a plant? No, I. This is when I was like, oh, TK, like, is like a nerdy, cute little boy. If we could put a leather jacket on him, then I think we could get Megan's interest. Then we could be like good friends with a billionaire. And live a different life. This all sounds like a potential human trafficking scam. <laughs> Wherein I am the one being trafficked. But, you know, we'll talk about that later. For now, <laughs> we, we get this match. This match between... Um, I'm sorry, I didn't even introduce the other people. So, <laughs> you've got Kenny Omega and his best friends, the Good Brothers. And they are fighting um, new superstar to the BTE slash Dynamite World, Danny Limelight, and the Varsity Blondes. Danny Limelight was the treasure of this uh, whole match. He was, yeah, he, he looked good. He uh, he carried the match. Okay, I don't. <laughs> I hard disagree, but uh, he was impressive. <laughs> he spent a lot of time getting beaten up at the beginning. I felt bad for him in that sense. What he took those bumps so like elegantly lots of flippies jenny you're gonna have to start watching dark if you want to see his catalog of work must have to i would also say that griff garrison has gorgeous hair he really does way better than jungle boy whoa shots and and joey janela Wow. I mean, we've gone back and forth on Joey Janela's hair, depending on how frizzy it is and the humidity. But I always thought you were a very staunch Jungle Boy hair defender. Oh, no. Griff Garrison's hair is way more beautiful than uh, Jungle Boy's hair. He must use some good product in that. A little more than Pert Plus. <laughs> <laughs> or I thought it was Costco brand that, uh, oh. that Jungle Boy used. He's like, You're what right. if my mom buys me at Costco? Which is adorable. But Griff Garrison must go to the salon. Oh, probably with those luscious locks. They're very pretty. Yeah. I 
that being said, um, Griff Garrison didn't win. Uh, the new Bullet Club won. And Carl Anderson got to pin poor Danny Limelight, who may have carried the match in Jenny's mind, but was the one who eats that pin at the end. Yes. Uh, and this was really, I think, mostly just a preview for um, the big Impact Wrestling pay-per-view this weekend, where the winning trio team here, Kenny Omega and the Good Brothers, will be taking on Impact World Champion... Why can't I think of his name? Rich Swan and okay. uh, the Motor City Machine Guns in the main yes. event. Can the this promotion can AEW call these men the Bullet Club? Are they allowed to do that, or is that a New Japan trademark thing? That is a New Japan trademark. Okay, I was just curious when I saw this. WWE went so far as to call them the club, um, but they never said bullet. And I don't know that WWE would say bullet, even if they could. So, you know, that's not really their their way. No, and to relate, just to relay another story of, uh, I want to inject my podcast listening into all of this. Um, I listened to Oral Sessions, hosted by Renee Paquette, and she had an episode with Eddie Kingston, which I listen to, and I'm worried that oh. maybe he's a really good person. <laughs> and uh, seems like he's a good person, Megan. And my gimmick of hating him might have to fall through, but uh, oh, one he will be so disappointed that he's he's just a man alone. <laughs> don't tell him. That's what I request. But uh, one of one thing Eddie Kingston did say to kind of back up your point, Andy, is that when he he got like a WWE tryout and they had him do a promo before he did a like a match and he said like so, something like where i come from people fight with guns and knives and so i'm you know not scared of coming at whatever something to that effect but he said that when he said the words guns and knives like people's faces just he got the distinct impression that that is not what we said around here and that he knew that tryout was over <laughs> like he didn't even really yeah. need to do anything in this match he just knew that's it <laughs> I mean, that company is for children. Like, literally, it is for children. So that's not a place Eddie Kingston should be. <laughs> it's like tricks. Yeah, exactly. It's like tricks. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, all that sprouted out of the the question I had about the Bullet Club, and the Bullet Club won this, whether we can say it or not that way, but they did. Um, yeah. Did you have any thoughts about the match itself, or do we want to get to the aftermath? Uh, aftermath's fine, yeah. Match right. was match was what it was. It was just a like the 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 other guys got more than I would have expected them to get, but uh, it was it was really just kind of an extended squash. Yeah, that's kind of how I thought of it too. So after the match, um, John Moxley shows up because of course he does. He has to, you know, he has to fight these men. So he's yeah. outnumbered. Why? Three. Wait, wait, why? So this is my big thing with it. Why does John Moxley make the decision to willingly come out? And take on three men with no provocation. He's the bravest, stupidest man in the world. <laughs> this is not the first time he's made a bad decision with regard to, like, odds it against him. <laughs> it's three to one and he's still, yeah, sure, I got this. Um, and I guess he's just that mad at Kenny. For being 
a dick. So he yeah. he's outnumbered three to one. He goes in the ring swinging, doesn't even act like it's a problem. Immediately gets put down because there's three to one, and then uh, out of nowhere the Lucha Brothers show up to come to his aid, which is kind of surprising. I I did not expect them necessarily. Well, but, they they had seeded this um, because well number one. Uh, Moxley in his promo last week showed respect to Ray Phoenix and said that he wanted him to win the world title and he wasn't going to interfere in the match. He was he was going to get Kenny later. And then after the fact, you know, when the when uh, Don Callis was directing uh, Kenny to end Phoenix's career after the match was over, uh, John Moxley is is the one who, you know. Not really. I don't think it was to save Ray Phoenix. I think it was, it was it was like, okay, now I can get my revenge. But he he in effect saved Ray Phoenix. That's true. That's true. I guess. Sometimes I wonder. You know that Ray and Penta. Sometimes their brotherhood seems like they're really fighting one day, and then they're just best friends the next. So, like any sibling pair, I guess. But yeah. Yeah. So they both show up for this. Um, with their help, Moxley is able to go directly after Kenny. And then all of a sudden, like, a bunch of members of the locker room come out and try to separate the two of them. And they sort of succeed until Moxley Jenny, clears the Jenny ring. Did her, Jenny 100% did her. There are too many people in this ring. I roll. I for sure. I was with you because I'm like, oh, no, this is what's happening now. <laughs> and uh, So they separate them. It looks like Moxley's going to be be able to make it to Kenny because the ring clears. Uh, and then the Young Bucks show up. And they put themselves in the middle of the ring between Moxley and Kenny's on the outside. And they look like they're just they're just trying to say, hey, man, like, you know, please just, just stop. Just think about what you're doing. And in this time, the Lucha Brothers managed to come up behind the Young Bucks. And when they turn around, they super kick them. And then at this point, everything super breaks down into chaos. Like, it's just a million people in the ring. It's super Jenny eye roll time. And that's fair. <laughs> um, but in the chaos, Don Callis grabs Kenny, hurries him away, and, and rushes him to the back so that he's not part of this. And I think um, maybe some of the people, like the Good Brothers look around and are like, well, where the hell's Kenny? Um, they can handle themselves, but I, it was like, hey, what... Where'd he go? Where, where's our bro? Um, so yeah, it it all breaks down, and that's how this this segment ends. I thought it was cool to see it was like really the first interaction of Moxley and the Young Bucks uh, in this company, and I'm kind of thinking now maybe we get a Moxley and the Lucha Brothers versus Kenny and the Bucks six man tag somewhere. Oh, that'd be fun in the near future. Yeah, that'd be cool. Do you, yeah. do you think the Young Bucks are... I mean, I guess obviously they still consider Kenny a friend, but you don't think they're going to be mad about this whole switching them out at the last minute deal? I don't know. I almost feel like we have to see... There has to be a footage that they show us of what happened there because it's inexplicable. <laughs> yeah. Because they thought they were in the match and then they weren't in the match. <laughs> yeah, they weren't in on the switch out, but... I, yeah. Don Callis is just kind of going rogue over here. Yeah. Do what he's doing. I don't right. really like him. Okay. I think that means he's achieving what he's trying to do. Sure. <laughs> like, 
he doesn't seem to be likable. So, speaking of likable things, this uh, next segment we get is the first time Dr. Britt Baker's show, The Waiting Room, is on Dynamite. And this is set up to be sort of like a daytime talk show sort of deal. We've got a really cheesy set. Um, Rebel introduces the show. And Britt comes out. She's got her doctor's coat on, but she's also just wearing, like, normal clothes. And she tells everyone to check under their seat and get a huge huge surprise for you, much like Oprah does. But unlike Oprah, Britt is lying to them. And so (laughs) nobody has anything under their seat, and she thinks it's a super funny joke. Um, Cody is going to be her guest tonight. He's here to promote his new show, The Go Big Show, Thursdays on TNT, if you're interested. Um... Britt gets in a, what I thought was like a pretty funny sting here. Uh, or yes. not sting. Sorry, I was reading my notes. Uh, pretty funny burn. She goes, Cody, Cody, can I just ask, who's your guy? Sting, Shaq, Snoop? Make one good choice, unlike the one on your neck. And I literally just like started gragging up. Thought that was real Me good. Too. Real good. Uh, yeah, so Cody, <laughs> Cody comes out. He seems sort of amused by this whole thing. And Britt's like, hey, it's going to be a huge year. Why don't you tell me about it? And as, like, before Cody can say anything, she goes, wait, I have another huge surprise. And then out walks Jade Cargill in, she's just wearing, like, a mirror, essentially. Like, an outfit made of glass. (laughs) It's very sparkly, but also, like, distracting. Uh, So Jade... Kurashita's entrance video. Yeah. Yeah. But just, like, a a portion of it. Yeah. Yeah. She looks great. I mean, she's tall. She's got muscles for days. She looks awesome. Um, she grabs the mic out of Cody's hand, and I was like, uh-oh. Are we going to get another one of those promos? But I think she she did better than her first time around. She she gets in Cody's face. She's like, hey, nobody gives a shit about Brandy's pregnancy. Um, what's more important is you haven't provided me with a worthy opponent yet, and I'm, I'm still waiting on that. And then she just also adds, like, I will also beat Brandy's ass if she ever returns. So that's a threat. I liked Britt's um, response of uh, when when she said, no one cares about Brandy's pregnancy. And Britt's just like, she's not going to be here for nine months. <laughs> yeah. Britt was ecstatic. She's like, I care about your pregnancy, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> not about the baby part. Just like, get out of here. Uh, yeah, that was really good. Um, the defender of Brandy that shows up is Red Velvet, who we've seen before. She has never looked this small to me as when she stands next to eight foot tall Jade Cargo. <laughs> she just looks so little in comparison. Um, and then they get into a slapping match, which, you know, that's fun. It has to be broken up by the whole women's locker room. And somewhere in this bra, Cody ends up getting out the door on the side of the set and ushering red velvet away. Um, and then Britt's like, okay, I can save this show play the clip. And then she shows the, the moment of her pouring uh, water on top of Thunder Rosa's face. That one time she jumped her and she's like very happy with herself, but Thunder Rosa has queued up a video of her own. And she says, you know what, Britt, I'm tired of your bullshit. Um, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to take you on. But Tony Khan wants to give our match time and a bigger stage than normal. So I will see you at Beach Break. 
Britt freaks out. She immediately is like, no, no, Tony, Tony, you told me I didn't have to wrestle her. No, 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 Tony. And then she's like, get that graphic down. No, we're not doing this. And Rebel's like, oh, my God, what's happening? And Britt just goes, I c- we're not having a match. I'm going to the beach. And then they just like, <laughs> they just leave. So I thought Britt did really well. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I did too. Britt's very good. So this is so that Thunder Rosa Britt Baker match. I don't know if you guys remember was originally scheduled for this show that we're reviewing right now, but uh, Thunder had some COVID exposure, so mm-hmm. she is. Uh, I don't think she ever tested positive, Good. but it was like it was one of those things where she was around someone who did end up testing positive. So they they pulled her, they pulled the match, and uh, and honestly, it is that's that's a pretty big stage for it uh, on that beach break show. So that's cool. Yeah, I'm not upset. I think that this warrants it, and yeah, it'll be fun. All right. Well, that's something to look forward to at Beach Break, along with all the other stuff that's been announced thus far. I guess uh, Jade Cargill is going to wrestle Red Velvet at some point. Um, I guess. I mean, she wants a like very intense opponent. I think, but. I don't know that they even have anyone to feed her if they wanted to. So Red Velvet seems like fine. Yeah. Uh, do you think Shaq is ever going to show up again, or is he no. just done? Yes, he'll show up again, but I don't. I don't know. Like, any, not anytime soon. I don't think. Okay. He's got pizza to sell. Heck yeah. Shaq size Papa John's. Okay. Well, the next match we've got on the card is Jurassic Express versus FTR. Um, Jurassic Express in this iteration is going to be Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt. And I gotta say, after you told me which song it was that Tony licensed and I I listened to it, I like it. I think it works. Is that weird? No, yeah. We got the we did get the the Tarzan Boy by Baltimore entrance song for Jungle Boy and Marco, and I was very happy to hear that. Yeah, I thought it was... Just thought yeah. about that can of, that bottle of Listerine swinging on a vine. Yeah. Uh, so this match is... It's because I think Marco just annoys FTR, and it's unfortunate because in the end, FTR gets the win by pinning Marco. Cash specifically gets to pin him, and it's after they do... The newly named Big Rig, uh, but I think I think Marco has a good showing. Like he comes out and he's he's all ready to go. FTR assume they can manhandle him, and I think that gives him the advantage at least initially. Uh, but but yeah, he gets he gets pinned. He did get pinned, but uh, I think we all expected that going in, and uh, yeah, he he put up a good fight. Yeah. I think the one spot that I remember really and really liking because it was just goofy is uh, Cash got Marco up on his back like a backpack and Marco's hair kind of fell into his face and he just started walking around asking like Jungle Boy and Dax like, how does my hair look? Is it good? You like this new style? (laughs) Okay, okay, fine. (laughs) Fun times. Next up, we've got the NWA Women's World Championship match between Ty Conchi and Serena Deeb. Uh, Serena Deeb remains the NWA Women's Champion. 
I think that's maybe not a surprise. But, uh, I don't know. This match wasn't terrible. I think it did highlight that Ty Conti is, is still working on her stuff a little bit. But all of the, like, martial art moves that Serena took from Ty looked really good. It was more the, like, the random timing on other stuff that I thought. Yeah. I think she's got some timing and maybe a little bit of, like, slowness to work on. But all of her, like, uh, judo-type stuff looks great. So, like, I think she's going to get there. Her offense looks very good. And I think she is, right now, missing the music between the notes. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good way to say it. I feel like there were times when she... She was pre-setting up for Serena to do something to her, like positioning her arms and in a way that's like, that's not how a normal person would, what you would be doing that specific situation, but it makes sense if the next move is this and maybe she just needs to calm down and sort of get her flow down. So. I enjoyed it. I think, I I think I maybe was a little higher on it than, than you, but uh, Megan, but uh, you know, but I also really love Ty Conti. So. And I really love Serena Deeb, so I, I was a little higher on it too. <laughs> no, I did. I liked it. I didn't dislike the match. I just, I was like, oh, Serena Deeb got a good match out of you, but also like it's very clear that you're, you're still working, and she's, yeah. you know, way beyond that. But yeah. I'm, I like Ty Conti, and I hope that she gets a chance to develop more than she did in her time in WWE. I, I think she's already developed more because she's not doing the tongue thing. <laughs> <laughs> She's not Miley Cyrusing all over the place. I mean, she's definitely been used more than yeah. she was in like two years on NXT. So, yeah, I I think she's going to get there. I think she's got like a lot of what you need, and so I I, I think it's just kind of putting the the defensive stuff together and some of the timing things together. Yeah. She's only, she's only 25 years old, you know? So, I mean, she's, she's got plenty of time to get more polished. Yeah. And her best friend is Anna Jay, who apparently just picks this stuff up. She's a super fast. prodigy. Yeah. 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 So maybe she can help her out and practice with her and stuff like that. So I have, I have heard that it is difficult sometimes for, um, people who were proficient in amateur wrestling or judo to uh, transition into pro wrestling because your instinct is not to let yourself leave your feet. So bumping is is like an or like uh, like a, allowing an opponent to throw you is an extra kind of like mental thing that you've been you've had reinforced for years and years and years that like the worst thing that can happen is for me to get thrown to the to the mat, you know? Yeah. I think that was always my fear with um, Brock. Not that he was afraid to leave his feet, but I always worry that the people who do real martial arts instinct will kick in and then they'll accidentally maybe try to kill someone. You know, like, like respond with like an actual punch or something. And yeah, because the mental um, muscle memory, you know, so the only time Brock ever did that, it was totally appropriate. It was when it was when Braun Strowman kneed him really hard in the side of the head. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> the the calm down. And Brock Brock responded by like it was like a switch flipped and he stopped like it, he flipped out of pro wrestler selling mode and he just like punched 
Braun really hard in the side, like like give him like a nice like liver shot, and then said, "Come the," or he said, "Settle the fuck down," <laughs> and then and Braun just kind of nodded, <laughs> and then they were fine for the rest of the match. <laughs> you don't want to get punched by Brock. No. <laughs> well, that's uh, that's a good explanation though. Like, if she doesn't want to leave her feet because of the, you know, the instruction, that makes sense. Um, I thought she had a really good looking pump kick, like. She really she did for it. Was a good looking pump kick, and her throws were uh, excellent as always. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm hopeful for her as yeah. far as like future. So, and I'm glad that they stuck the women's championship match right at the end here, right before the main event. Yeah, although I mean, this is like the traditional dynamite women's segment time, like the quarter hour before the main event. I guess but also sometimes they don't put the women's belt like match at near the end so, you know i feel like on least... pay-per-views no <laughs> yeah i feel like on dynamite like they pretty the women are pretty locked into that like 9 30 to 9 45 quarter hour for whatever reason yeah well at least it's not always the death slot like sure. you know they're given more than three minutes so yeah. I'll take it. Um, but speaking of the main event, that's what's up next. And this is for the TNT Championship. So it's Brian Cage versus Darby Allen. And I think we all went into this kind of not sure who would come out of it. Um, like legitimately who would get the championship. Not come out of it live, but like come out of it with the championship. <laughs> Andy's giving me a look. Um, but turns out Darby Allen retains... He does his crucifix bomb to get the win. Uh, a lot of this was him getting murdered, though. Yeah. But- Apparently, that's why he can only wrestle once every two and a half months. And has yet. this is the first time he has defended his title. And he's had it for two and a half months. Well, this is how every defense of his title is going to go. He might die. Well, I know that's what I'm saying. Like, apparently, he's only going to be able to defend it like quarterly. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it was. I really liked the match. It was very entertaining. But most of the time, I thought Darby was for sure going to die. Like Brian Cage at one point just overhead tossed him from the ring onto a table on the outside of the ring, which I don't know. It was impressive, but also looked super painful. And then he started bleeding in his forehead. Yeah, I don't know if that was bladed or if that actually just was an injury. Come on, Megan. Was it bladed? <laughs> he, I mean, man, he went through that table hard. He didn't. He didn't go head first into it. He kind of hit out all just the whole body at once. <laughs> You're right. I'm stupid to think that we get natural blood in these situations. Uh, but yeah. I think another one that looked cool was uh, right at the beginning. Darby tried to do a tope suicida, and Brian Cage literally just like plucked him out of the air, and then flipped him over and did a suplex. It looked painful but awesome. Yeah, I really liked it. Um, these two work well together, and uh, the way they did the finish with Sting coming down to counteract Ricky Starks, and then kind of then Cage being kind of distracted as he went to finish off Darby. So Darby got the crucifix bomb. 
because like even I mean it is a power bomb, but it's also like basically a roll up. So mm-hmm. I think they do a good job of protecting Brian Cage when he loses. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I mean, if you're just looking at it on paper, a 270 something pound man versus little Darby, you'd think he could probably just win. But uh, Jenny, there was a moment I thought of you where Brian Cage decided to incorporate the steps. And he didn't just lift them up because we all know they weigh about 3,000 pounds. He had to like <laughs> slowly drag them over. And I was like, I I really hope he's play acting that. I really hope he, he <laughs> is. That's a little nod to WWE and their claim that those hollow steel steps weigh anything more than like, uh, you know, nothing. <laughs> I liked the, uh, I liked the... Uh, Sting stuff in this match because I felt like it finally progressed. He he actually, for the first time, he was on offense and he he used his bat to great effect. Yeah, Ricky Starks he bumped the hell out of that too. Yeah. So, I liked how Sting showed up like in a surprising manner because speed was of the essence. So the lights went out and then really quickly they were on and he was there. And then after the match was won, then he summoned the snow. Because there was time for it. Summon the snow. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we we close the show out with Darby basically like he's on the ground holding his belt and he's staring up at Sting, who is just, you know, being Sting. Yeah. I thought it was a pretty good show. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So... Good dynamite. And uh, next week, what's what's the big matches next week? It's uh, the Jer- the the inner circle Settle- settling their differences. Yeah, yeah. There's a negative one birthday match that I forget who's involved in it, but definitely pressed advance probably. <laughs> right? Is that the is that the Hangman and uh, and Silver and Reynolds tag match? Yes, actually, yes. Okay. I just can't remember who they're fighting. It's Luther Serpentico and somebody, but I can't remember who the third person is. Oh, yeah, okay, you're right. But I guess it's little Brody Jr.'s. He got to pick again. Oh. Yeah, let me see. Um, Luther Serpentico and... Oh, no, it's... Oh, wow, okay. It's Hangman, Colt... Alex Reynolds and John Silver versus Luther, Serpentico, and the Hybrid 2. Okay. Okay. That's going to be a lot of people in the ring. Yeah. Get ready. We've also got uh, Matt Seidel and Top Flight versus Private Party and Matt Hardy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nyla Rose versus Legit Layla Hirsch. Oh, I would, yeah. I would not mind seeing a upset in that match. I, I was excited because I've missed seeing Layla Hirsch. I think she's really mm. good. Uh, and John Moxley uh, in action. So, this is a decent lineup. Yeah. And Chuck uh, being a butler. And Chuck being a butler. So, what more can you really ask for? <laughs> Before we wrap up, I just want to say, uh, AEW announced yesterday, and I'm sure both of you got these emails, probably in your spam folders or something, uh, the AEW Dynamite Awards 
that which will be streaming uh, for free on BR Live uh, at 7 p.m. on before Dynamite on January 27th, and uh, you can vote now uh, for your AEW, you know, all your AEW awards. Huh. But what you can't vote for are the BDs. Are the BDs because those are just determined by the three of us. And I now feel better. That we haven't gotten around to the BDs yet. Now that I know that AEW is doing an official award ceremony, it's not until the twenty seventh of January. So, so we've still got time. Yeah, the year just rolled over. We're all just trying to get caught up on life. Yeah, I wish so we, we could go to a Chili's. Yeah, I Let's wish go. we could go to a Chili's. Yeah, fuck, that'd be great. Oh, their chips and salsa is so good. I know it just reminds me of the Dundies. It's like I feel God in this chili. And second drink. Uh, yeah so the BDs are going to happen and it'll just appear in the feed as a bonus episode whenever we have time to do it and we'll we'll have to figure that out but we are going to do it we should do it before February okay that's a good goal to have we got half a month to to get it done then alright okay well thank everybody for listening uh, for Jenny, and for Megan, I'm Andy, and you've been listening to The Elite Beat. E, Elite Beat. E, E, Elite Beat.